Welcome to What's the Law Say, a presentation of Legal Aid of West Virginia. I'm Clint Adams, Legal Director at Legal Aid of West Virginia, and in this episode, we will be discussing tax law with Stephanie Coleman from West Virginia University's College of Law Federal Tax Clinic. She's the program director there. Before we start, we always love to start every good program with a fancy disclaimer to remind you Legal Aid of West Virginia is a nonprofit law firm providing legal services and advocacy to vulnerable West Virginians. This podcast is presented to bring relevant and current information. All the information is current at the time this podcast is published. Our guest, our guest attorneys are licensed to practice law in the state of West Virginia, and this information would relate only to the law in the state of West Virginia. It's provided for informational purposes only. This is legal information. It does not take the place of an attorney-client relationship or professional tax advice. In this situation, you should speak with an attorney or a tax advisor about your specific situation. As we know, I'm Clint Adams, and as I mentioned, we will be talking taxes with Stephanie Coleman. Stephanie, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me, Clint. Happy it's ex- to be here. It's exciting to have you with us. Stephanie and I worked together at some time during Legal Aid, and she's gone on to do awesome things at West Virginia University's uh, College of Law through the Federal Tax Clinic. How long have you been in that job? Exactly a year. <laughs> One thrilling year, but I have been and tax controversy work for a decade. I was going to say, you really like that tax work that some of us find, well, I don't know, taxing, but uh, mm-hmm. but you've been in it for, you say, a decade? You know, um, I'm, I'm helping people. Um, and at minimum, I'm helping uh, people who are just going through the, the turmoils of life understand some sometimes very confusing paperwork from the IRS, and on the best day, I'm making someone's tax liability go away or giving them a refund that they've well deserved. Well, and and I can acknowledge, I mean, I'm an attorney, quite frankly, and when I see documents that come in or I try to read federal regulations, Mm -hmm. I find it to be pretty complicated, and it, it certainly takes a specific skill that you've developed over time in understanding a lot of those communications. What do you see as the biggest issue that comes into the tax clinic uh, well, a couple things. First, for some reason, they haven't filed a tax return, and then they're getting confusing letters from the IRS, and they don't understand what's going on, and they may need help with a prior year tax return to become filing compliant, and they may not owe anything and get a refund, um, or they may owe, and we can help them with some uh, collection alternatives. Or, you know, recently we've gotten people who for one reason or another, they didn't get all of all three of their stimulus payments and they need help with that. So let's start there um, because there were stimulus payments that were issued from the federal government that were dispersed from the Internal Revenue Service. What, what advice do you give to someone who comes in and says, you know, I got one of them, I got none of them, I got two of them, um, and there was supposed to be three? First, I, I make sure... Um, The IRS sent out notices when they sent you um, payments, but then they sent out a final letter saying, hey, we sent you this money. So first I would find out if they got those letters, because it could be something as simple as the IRS didn't have the correct address or it maybe went to a bank account that has been closed, in in which case um, I would um, contact the IRS and let them know. 
Um, for some people, they simply haven't filed a tax return because they could, couldn't figure out how to do it online. And, and we help them with that. Um, at this point, if you haven't received your stimulus payments, then what you would need to do it would to be to file a paper return for the year that that you're seeking. So if you if you were owed the payment that went out in 2021, then you need to file a 2021 return and check the recovery rebate box or a 2022 return if you're missing those returns. All is not lost, but you will have to file a paper return to claim it if you didn't file a tax return and it may take some time. And what if you did file a tax return, but that got overlooked? Maybe you filled out your taxes yourself or whoever helped you with them didn't understand uh, that aspect of it. What steps would you take in a situation like that? If that happened and a person brought in the return and I can see there was some sort of error, um, then I would just file an amended return. I'd help them file an amended return and send that in. The IRS has gotten really good about sending letters that provide more of an explanation for what they want. And so when I meet with clients, I always say, bring in all the IRS letters because I mean, I'm used to seeing them. So I know what to look for. I remember one time I got a letter from the IRS that said, you forgot to claim this thing that you were eligible for. And we've Mm -hmm. updated your return and we've added that in because you should have claimed that whenever you did it. And they actually um, boosted my return. So sometimes they'll catch that on their end. Mm Sometimes they they do. They absolutely do, because it's easier if they could see if they've got your records and they can see what the error is. It's easy enough for them to correct it. That doesn't happen all the time. But I do have to say, and I say this often, if the IRS sends you letters, open it up and look at it. (laughs) The IRS is not your pen pal. It's just not them calling (laughs) to say, hey, you know, you need to figure out. Uh, what they're saying, what the question is. Sometimes they are just asking for additional information uh, that you have. Or, or uh, um, for a while, post-COVID, I got a number of clients and they were frazzled uh, about the letters, but all the IRS was asking was a confirmation of their address and some sort of ID. So I literally screenshotted the taxpayers um, ID, but he'd moved every year and they didn't know and he didn't have a bank account. So they didn't know where to send the money. So let's start there. That's I think that's a great question to consider, though. How does the IRS communicate with you? Are they going to call you up and and say, if you don't pay me five thousand dollars now, we're going to launch an audit? Or how does the IRS communicate with you? They always send a letter. And most of the time it is a letter. Um, I have been doing this for a while. I haven't come across a situation, I mean, it's possible, but I haven't come across a situation where they've called you first. So they'll send you some letters and then taxpayer calls in and leaves a number and then they may call back. And when they call, I mean, every time they call, it says IRS on the other line. It doesn't say anything (laughs) fancy. That's something to keep in mind then, because I know that there's in the past have been some scams related to that, that people will intimidate you because just using the words IRS is one of those things that that puts you on the defensive, which is something that scammers are trying to do is to get you on your heels to start with. And, and, And let me say this. There are three or four 
collection agencies that have a contract with the IRS to collect old debts. If if you do legitimately believe that you have an old debt, but you think this person is a scammer, go to irs.gov and look, look it up to see if it's one of the companies. Now, if you have a debt to the IRS, should you run and hide underneath of a rock and hope they never find you? <laughs> or should you give them a call and see if you could work it out? You should address the issue, not avoid the issue. So if you haven't filed all your tax returns, I would st start with that because if, for example, that you owe, they require that you be filing compliant, which means filing all your tax return, because that on that document, you've said where you live, who your kids are. You've signed it saying that it's true. You're saying this is what your income is. And that's, you know, that's what they're looking, that type of verification. If you file your tax returns and you uh, at the bottom, there is a balance due. OK, you can deal with that. Um, you can go on a payment plan, short or long. If you don't think that you'll ever be able to pay it back, you know, you can ask to be placed in a hardship status or uh, you can file an offer and compromise. If you file your tax return on time, the IRS has 10 years to collect from you. That's the collection statutory collection statutory expiration date. So you can go on a payment plan. You can be asked to be placed in hardships. And a, wait, a payment plan you can do online. You can just go on irs.gov. You can do that. If you want to be placed in hardship status, which the IRS calls currently not collectible, you're going to have to get a hold of a person because you're going to have to provide them documents showing why you can't pay. Or you can file an offer and compromise, which is settling for less than you owe. And you will again have to provide lots of financial information showing that you cannot pay it. So what I hear from you, though, is if you owe money that you can't pay, that shouldn't stop you from filing your taxes. You should still fill out the form, yes. send it in, electronically file or however. And when they say, mm -hmm. how are you going to pay? You're like, well, I'm not just yet. I'm going to work at maybe some of these other options and try to maybe get on put on a payment plan if that's if that's what you should do. Yes. Is uh, is that the kind of uh, the filing of taxes? Is that something you do at the uh, at your tax at the tax clinic at WVU College of Law? We assist taxpayers in filing tax returns if it's necessary to resolve a tax controversy. We are not filing to, uh, 2022 returns. That's what uh, FIDA would do. That's what uh, you know these free services that are listed both on IRS.gov and WestVirginiaTax.gov will do for you. But if you if if you're being threatened with a, a garnishment from the IRS and you need that tax return filed, the IRS is going to require the tax return to be filed before we can even discuss lifting that wage garnishment, then we would file a tax return for that purpose. I, I often say, you know, we are not a VITA site or it's more than just a tax return because um, it could be if you have a, a lien on your house uh, for a tax debt and the tax has and the, you've, you've paid the debt and the IRS still hasn't released the lien. 
It could be you need uh, to get to file your taxes and get on a payment plan because you need that tax return because your kid's in college and they need the tax return to apply for financial aid. It could be you think the IRS is absolutely wrong <laughs> and you want to take them to court. And, and we and we do that. Um, so let me talk about some of the eligibility for our services. So the federal tax clinic is part of the multi-practice clinic at the law school. So if you go to the law school clinic's webpage, you'll see our application and you can apply for services that way. We have um, an income cap. It's 250% of poverty. That's the federal poverty level. So for a household of one, it's about $33,000. I think it's 33900 so up to that amount, that's our income ceiling. And it, it goes up for each member of the household. So it has to be a federal tax issue. It can't be in conflict with any of the other cases that we have going on with the clinic. We can represent an individual. We can represent a sole prop. We can help someone who was allegedly responsible for trust fund recovery penalties. If you have a business with employees, the money that you withhold from them and then send to the state or the IRS, uh, and then the trust fund recovery penalties are if you don't do that, if you just take the employee's money. Um, right. So, But for the most part, our clients are going to be individuals, some sole props. And a sole prop would be a sole proprietor, which is one person that owns the business right. and files it together. Right. Now, is there a charge if people qualify? Is there a charge for, for your services? Absolutely free. We, uh, I mean, the the school funds the clinic, and with the LITC program, we get funding to provide free legal services. So, WVU has operated a federal tax clinic for decades, but well, we recently got funding uh, from the Low Income Taxpayer Clinic Program. And that program was established through the IRS Reconstruction Act of 1998, and they provide funding to represent taxpayers against the IRS and to provide education and outreach on tax issues to low-income taxpayers and to English language learners. Does, uh, does everybody have to file taxes? If you are a U.S. citizen or a permanent resident, uh, most people do if they have some kind of income. Um, but starting this year, tax year 2023, third party network transactions are going to be reported to the IRS. So if you're making transaction on the cash app or Venmo or you're selling things on Etsy, now they're required for any transaction over $600 to report it to the IRS. So if you, if I sell my car on eBay, then eBay is going to report to the IRS that I sold a car. It's not meant to, if I give my daughter money through Venmo, that's not the case. But a lot of people with this gig economy and side hustles, they're making money and not necessarily reporting it. And and so we're clear, right? You you are required by law to report any income, whether it's from 
from your side hustles or whether you're selling things on Etsy, yeah. um, the law actually requires you to report that. Now the IRS is finding a way to watchdog to make sure people are reporting the things yes. that they're supposed to be. Yes. And for for my clients, I want to get the word out is because then that means that if I don't know, I bake cakes and I sold a thousand dollars worth of cakes and Square shows that I had a thousand dollars right in transactions, hopefully. And I encourage people to keep all their receipts. So if I sold birthday cakes then I bought flour and sugar. I drove to the gas station. I used the electricity in my house. But if you don't keep those receipts that you showing your expenses that you can deduct for your income, then the IRS is just going to assume that you had a thousand dollars. Could you just set up a separate bank account if you're if you're doing those sorts of things and just run um, the business yeah. um, through, through I, I would something separate? That. And and there's several companies. The companies that already have those type of services, they have those programs that you can subscribe to. And I mean, I think they'd be really helpful because they can remind you when to pay estimated taxes and estimated taxes. If you if you're an employee, you're a W-2 employee, then at the end of the year, your employee fills out the W-2 and it says, hey, IRS, I paid this amount of money and this is how much taxes I withheld for Stephanie. But if you are not a W-2 employee, you've got a side hustle uh, or you're just a 1099 employee, then it's your responsibility to make those withholdings and pay the state and pay Social Security. And you'd ask me um, um, W-2s and, and 1099. So a W-2 is what employers report income paid to an employee and the withholdings. A 1099 is what's used to report non-employee compensation. When I have a client and I say, bring in all your documents, I look for W-2s and 1099s, but 1099s could be issued if you had self-employment income, if you had uh, interest or dividend incomes, if you get Social Security. So if you have certainly some of those complications, I think mo most people aren't that familiar with the tax law mm -hmm. and, and they would need some assistance, whether it would be a paid professional or a volunteer through the, the VITA clinic. They've received then some training as it relates to tax law. So they're familiar with how to fill out taxes appropriately yeah. for someone. They are uh, volunteers, um, but they are very well trained. Um, they have to go through hours of preparation to be a VITA volunteer, and they have to pass an exam. I just want to give out a shout out to VITA because those, those folks know what they're doing. I think a level one VITA volunteer has to um, undergo at least 20 hours of training. And they're going to understand a few terms that someone else might. So I think you understand a few of these terms as well. So uh, as we talk through some of the tax terms, sometimes we hear things like a standard deduction or an itemized deduction. Mm -hmm. well, what are those? The 1040 is what the IRS 1040 is what you would report your personal income on. OK, um, and. Um, it determines how much tax is going to be paid or what is going to be refunded. The West Virginia version is the I-10-140. There's federal taxes and the state taxes. 
they're they're different laws, they're different forms, but they kind of parallel each other. So the IRS is the 1040, the West Virginia is the I-10-140. The schedule is the form that attaches to either electronically or paper, and it allows you to calculate income and deductions. So that so, schedule is what you would use where you were talking about your baker, right? If you're a baker yeah. and you're mm-hmm. you sold a thousand dollars worth of cakes through the year, but you spent five hundred dollars, that schedule is what's going to help you figure that out. Do I understand that correctly? You got it. All right. If you if you had an IRS 1040 in front of you, on the bottom left, you'll see standard deduction. And that's the dollar amount that it reduces the amount of income upon which you are taxed. And if you were to look at it, there's a standard deduction for if you were single, if you're married, filing jointly, or, or um, if you're head of household. And those are different numbers. It's basically giving you a tax break based on your filing status. I think we understand what married and single means. What does head of household mean to the IRS? Head of household is you are a single parent with kids in the house, running the household, and you're working. And if you have kids, do you get to uh, some kind of a break on on taxes when it comes to filling those out? Um, there are tax, um, yes. So if you are the working poor, if you uh, work and your income is still below a certain level, you can apply for the earned income tax credit. And the amount of that credit changes from year to year. Last year in 2022, the maximum amount of credit was $560 if you had no kids, if you had one kids, one child, it's 3733 So what we're talking about there then would be someone who works at a, at a lower wage job. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're not going to be bringing home much, but they are working on a regular basis or they wouldn't be eligible for that credit, correct? You have to work to get the earned income tax. So, so, and then that's refundable. In other words, if you're entitled to that credit and you didn't make enough money to even get to that number, then, then that comes back to you? Yes, it's a refundable credit, yes. If you're going to, if you have a child, let's say you have a child that you've been um, keeping in your home, maybe it's a grandchild or something like that, and you, but you've been the one providing for that child's needs, can you claim that child or does it have to be a biological child? There's a dependency exemption. There's the earned income tax credit. There's the child tax credit and the additional child credit. There's a head of household status. You can claim, if you're eligible, all of these things, uh, but they each have different definitions. So in the example that you gave with the child tax credit, yes, if you were uh, a grandparent uh, caring for your grandchild, yes, you could claim the child. The easiest situation is if there's some sort of court order that says this child is in your custody and that it, and you're caring for this child, but it doesn't have to be a biological child. It can be your, you can be your foster child. You just have to be caring for the child. So you could claim that with or without legal guardianship, but it's easier if you have that court order that, that yes. that's going to tidy things up a little bit. Right. 
because what and what I see, you, you know, I see things when when there is a problem is grandma may be taking care of grandchild and then she and she she has taken care of the grandchild for most of the year, um, has no contact with the parents. But come tax time, the parents file their tax returns saying that the child lived with them and they take care of the child, in which case. Our, if the, I'm representing the grandparent, all is not lost, but that means that the IRS is going to ask us to prove it. So it's easy and quick if I could just send over a copy of a court order saying or something that says that the child is with the grandparent. But if not, I mean, we can piece it together by getting copies of the report card, the medical card. Uh, just things showing that the child is with the client grandparent. Now, what happens if your child is born in December? Let's say on December 31st, your child is born. Are they eligible to be claimed as a dependent? Um, yes. Yeah, you just have to be born in the calendar year. So even on the last day of the calendar year, you get the whole benefit. Uh, that's right. What happens if you have uh, couples that are not together, uh, the, the parents of the child do not live together? How does that work as it relates to taxes? Easiest with the court order. I'm sorry, when you say that, you mean the, the, the family court, when they address custody, could or should address who should claim the children, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. And if that doesn't happen? Then we, we have to prove it. I used to test this out. Um, I would I would do my own taxes on different programs. And the last couple years, yeah, I, I'm divorced. I've done my taxes on two different programs. And those electronic programs specifically asked me if I had a court order saying that the child's supposed to, that I could claim the child. If two people file a tax return using the same social, unfortunately, unless there's something to tip the IRS off, then whoever files first is probably going to get their refund first. When is the tax deadline for filing for this year? It's April the 18th, both for the federal and the state. Um, it's usually the 15th, but the 15th is a Saturday. I once heard, you, you know, the April 15th was the same day the Titanic sunk. So I always oh, thought was it was it? ironic <laughs> that the IRS picked that as the date. Um, the oh, Titanic sunk in the early morning hours of April 15th. April 18th, everyone, you've got a few more days, a few extra days, meaning you can file an extension. They, those are pretty automatic. And then that gives you until October to file your tax return. So do you have to have a reason for an extension or can you just ask the IRS and say, look, at April 18th looking tough? Um, you, do you have to have, do you have to, I don't know, be nope. in a coma or be in jail or anything like that? No. no. Sounds great. Well, um, Stephanie, uh, tell us again how you can get in touch with the, the West Virginia University Low Income Tax Clinic. Okay. Uh, you can apply for services and our application is not online. If you go to um, lawvu.edu clinical law, um, client applications, Click on client applications on the left hand side and that will take you to our application. And let me say this. So um, I do consults with people all the time. So if they call and we can't take their case, like, for example, they only have a state tax issue or 
they they're in court in Virginia or it's June and all of our students are studying for the bar, then the um, the office um, people know to forward the call to me and I just try to answer it on the phone. And we can, I mean, I just try to help people, but we can't, we just can't take every case being an academic clinic. But if I can, you know, me, you've been practicing for a while. Sometimes you get the same questions. Uh I can, I'll just, I'll just try to answer the questions, even if I can't help the case and point people in the right direction. Well, that's the thing I, I found as an attorney working at legal aid. Oftentimes it's not an issue that we can help with, but we know who can, or we know enough to put someone uh, on the on the right track to to resolve the issue. So mm-hmm. I, I would say it's probably the same way in your line of work. Mm-hmm. Well, Stephanie, I appreciate you taking the time to visit with us about these important issues and these very timely issues as people are going through their taxes. Um, uh, you shared a lot of information. I've learned a lot here today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Legal Aid of West Virginia is pleased to work with community partners such as the West Virginia University College of Law Tax Clinic, as well as working with VITA volunteers. In some areas throughout the state, Legal Aid of West Virginia partners with VITA to provide tax assistance. For more information on this free service or to schedule a meeting with a VITA volunteer, go online at irs.treasury.gov slash freetaxprep or call 1-800-906-9887. For more information about WVU's College of Law Tax Clinic, go to wvu.edu slash clinical dash law slash clinics for a complete list of their clinics. As always, more information is available on our website at legalaidwv.org. Disclaimer, on this program, we mentioned specific businesses. This in no way endorses these products. This is provided only as references of companies that apply to the laws being discussed and is solely to provide context to the conversation. Neither Legal Aid of West Virginia nor West Virginia University make any endorsement of any products on this episode, and these trademark brands continue to be owned by their respective companies. Thank you for joining us for this episode of What's the Law Say, a presentation of Legal Aid of West Virginia.